When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Rolling. Rolling. Hey, I'm Jonah, joined by Brad. How's it going, Brad? Oh, it's going well. I'm very busy these days. Which yeah. Is why I never sit in on podcasts except for this one. Brad did sit in on this one, which I'm so glad that you did, actually. It was pretty interesting. Yeah. So today's guest on the podcast is Chris Barron from The Spin Doctors, who I met um, through our friend Seth Herzog at a show and was like, dude, you have to do my podcast, and basically just harassed him over email and Twitter for a few months and basically forced him into coming in. Yeah. Worked. It did work, yeah. Persistence usually pays off, I feel like, in these types of situations. Um, but yeah, I thought it was like a really, this is a really cool conversation. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad I sat in on it because we had some things to talk about. And- yeah, we talked a lot about Spin Doctors, their success, kind of the aftermath, what it was like just kind of playing around the East Village when they were coming up. I mean, I didn't realize that they were such like a, you just see a band on MTV and you're just like, Oh, this is a new band, but it seemed like they really gigged a lot. Yeah, and I used... It's funny because in the early 90s, when I first moved to Manhattan, I lived right down, like, the road from Wetlands. And that's kind of where they got their start, Wetlands, which is over by the Holland Tunnel. Um, It was kind of a hippy-dippy joint, although... We later played there, and then see. Yeah, I like, knew it as just like a hardcore club. I know well, that was but later. I never it was went totally there. Totally a hippie club in the beginning. That's so like, interesting. Like when those guys started, it was them and Blues Traveler every freaking other week there, and yeah, Wetlands. It was like a cool place to see bands. It was great for hardcore because it had low stage, and um, it was just like it was kind of a good setup. But that was totally later. It totally it started off totally hippy dippy. Interesting. Um, yeah, man. But yeah, so now Chris does a lot of solo stuff, and um, tomorrow, tomorrow, April 16th, this is being released the morning of the 15th, he's playing, if you're listening to this, he's playing at the Rockwood Music Hall, Stage 3, at 8.30, so go check him out. He plays a bunch of different stuff, and he's playing two days later, the 18th, at the Turning Point in Piermont, New York, at 6 p.m., and um, you can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at thechrisbaron, two R's for rock and roll. <laughs> As he said, which no one ever forgets, which is and true. You could probably go buy one of his T-shirts, which are really well printed. I hear. Oh yes. Um, <laughs> oh Brad. <laughs> yes, um, his T-shirts are great. I'm sure. I'm not sure if he uses Commonwealth Press. I'm sure he does. He probably does. Everyone does these days. <laughs> um, but yeah, 
they were nice enough to sponsor a few episodes of Going Off Track. And if you go to commonwealthpress.com slash podcast, you can get six free shirts with your order. That's so, six free shirts. That is six free high-quality shirts. Or half a dozen. Or half a dozen. Whichever you would prefer. <laughs> so check out Commonwealth Press. Um, check out Chris Barron. He also mentioned that he's going to be releasing stuff kind of online, his solo stuff. So um, keep an eye out for that. And, yeah, enjoy this interview with Chris Barron of the Spin Doctors. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was going to make a pun, and then I just decided I would not. For once, I would not do it. So just listen to him. Okay. It's going on <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Stephen, I, I used to do a show for Fuse called Stephen's Untitled Rock Show, uh-huh. and Stephen and me started doing the podcast together. But he has twins now. But he actually lives in Princeton Junction. Um, that is such a weird place to live. Yeah, he was in the East Village forever, and then when he had kids, moved out there. And That's so, so funny. Princeton Junction is like, you know, it's it's like, well, it's probably more built up now and a little bit more like residential. But when I was a kid, it was like, you know, the train goes from New York to Princeton Junction, and then you take the dinky train, this little bitty train that goes... Um, four miles or something into into Princeton and stops like right next to the university. Okay, so it's like an old time, you know, like that's like an old time train thing. Junctions, you know, right, right. Like it, you know, and this train, the the Dinky train, I, which is I don't know if that's its formal name, but um, you know, like it only went back and forth between Princeton and Princeton Junction. So Princeton Junction, like, used to be just sort of. This little junction, a train station, and a few, like, houses. It was sort of like a little, like, island of civilization between two malls. You know, between, like, Quaker Bridge Mall and then next mall on the way, excuse me, on the next mall uh, on the way to... uh, (laughs) was loud. That was loud. (laughs) Anyway, how's he like it out there? I think he is going a little crazy just because he's home with like twin girls who are like three years old every day his wife yeah. still works at fuse so she comes in the city so yeah, he's yeah. a little i think he likes it out there but you know i think it's you know i i when my daughter was a baby like i had her half of the time by myself okay and like i mean i was like just dude with a baby you know like phone in the crook of my shoulder you know frying pan in my left hand you know baby in my right hand like vacuuming with my foot you right. know and like all my friends were like baby what <laughs> you know like they were all just dudes you know and, and and like my parents my mom was living in australia my dad was living in california and i was just a, like a dude with a baby and no and it, manual yeah <laughs> totally and no no freaking manual like yeah. like and um <clears throat> And it was, um, it was like, do you know the Yiddish word nachis? No. It's a great, great Yiddish word. I mean, it's like the feeling you get when, like, the grandparents get when they look at their, like, grandchildren's beaming faces on Christmas morning. You know, it's like that, except that Jews don't have Christmas. But, um, like, it was sometimes you just like, and especially like me, like I, I'd never had any kind of like a, a, th- that kind of like experience of, of love before, you know, like walking in the door and having your kid like just like fly 
shrieking into your arms going like daddy daddy you know like no matter what you did like i could give her like a rubber band and she'd be like thank you daddy you know um but and then at the same time it was like brain numbingly boring at times you just right. like you know they want to play barbies and like i don't know how to play barbies <laughs> you know it's just like me and her so i was like okay barbie's going to the moon and there's these aliens on the moon and they're like shooting at her and she's like daddy yeah you're still you know you can still fall back into a 10 year old boy so quickly yeah, in yeah, that scenario yeah. i have a daughter and yeah, like, yeah but i just got i got no 10 year old girl inside of me you know there's no. not there's let alone like a two-year-old girl you know yeah. three-year-old girl that's wild the bank is empty um Today we're joined by Chris Barron from Spin Doctors. And, uh, Why did you look at me like inquiringly? <laughs> well, because I actually looked online and it seemed like there was... You, do you have two last names or something? I felt like you were listed as different names, so I just wanted to make sure I didn't fuck it up. Oh, no, no, no. Chris Barron. I mean, my yeah, Chris Barron. I have, that's okay. a stage name. Okay. Oh, it's a stage name. Um, I don't know if I should say my real name on You don't have to say air, it, but... but... Yeah, it's Chris Gross. It's a matter of public record. Okay. Um, I'm Christopher Baron Gross. And Baron's my middle name and my mom's maiden name. Okay. But, I mean, first of all, Gross. <laughs> you know? Just, yeah. that's a one-word pitch <clears throat> for changing your name. Probably responsible for you being a successful musician because you... Probably got teased in grade school, right? Totally. My first memory, my first memory, um, when I was a little, little kid, I lived in Rye, New York. And um, my first memory, we lived on a cul-de-sac. And my first memory is the all the big kids in the neighborhood riding their bicycles around. You know how cul-de-sacs have like that circle of bushes at the, you know, in the middle of the, you know, it's like a cul-de-sac. You know, you have the street going down and then it ends in a circle and then there's yeah. like a circle of bushes. And uh, the big kids were like... They were riding their bikes around, pushing me into the bushes every time I tried to get out, singing like, Chris is gross. <laughs> That's my first memory. Dude, it's totally, it's a boy named Sue. Uh... Totally. That song, that's so <laughs> funny you should bring that up because because my dad was really into country music and Johnny Cash, like, I had so many, like, awakenings listening to Johnny Cash's, like, greatest hits. Like, that song, A Boy Named Sue, you know, I guess for your listeners who aren't familiar with the song it's a song about a boy named sue and he hunts for his, his dad disappears when he's like a little kid and just gives him this name sue and he hunts his dad down to and kill him to kill him for <clears throat> giving him that name and they have this amazing bar fight and right. in the in the song he's like he's like knock me down i got back up and cut off a piece he cut off a piece ear. of my ear and it's like <laughs> it's insane you know it's like it's crazy it's like my favorite johnny cash song and in the end of the song the dad's like listen i knew i couldn't be around and and I gave you that name so that you'd learn how to fight and you'd learn how to be tough. And, um, <laughs> and then they hug each other and like drink a beer together. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. That's really funny that you should mention that because like, like, um, I remember being like seven years old and we, my dad used to listen to that in on cassette in the car all the time. And, um, listening to Folsom prison blues, you know, like, there's that one line in there where he's like, I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. <clears throat> oh, yeah. And um, and I was like, that line really, you know, like, bothered me, but in a good way. You know, like, couldn't get it out of my head. And I was like, Dad, did Johnny Cash 
kill a man? You know, my dad was like, no, you know, he wrote the song. It's a story like that he's making up. It's a character and the character in the song, you know, is this made up character who like killed a guy. And I was like, oh, but why did he shoot him just to watch him die? And my dad goes, because he's a really bad dude. <laughs> and uh, I, I was like, like just brain exploded like you know for me that was like oh people write songs and they put crazy shit in yeah. them anything they want like maybe i could that do was that a turning point it was a big yeah it was a big like big realization i think like i think do, do you guys think like i think when you like are just sort of bound to to do something in your life like you just stumble across these kinds of insights when you're really early. Like I was just deeply impressed by songs and songs in particular, you know, I just remember like from there, just, just getting, I heard, I mean, years later I heard, I heard an, like an interview shit with uh, Steve Winwood, and, um, the, it was on um, WPRB in Princeton, which is like the college station. And they were like, they had this like fledgling guy interviewing him and um it was when um roll with it was that was that that song it was like yes you know it was that was a great tune and but but it was you know definitely like a kind of a crossover for him and it had like kind of a poppy thing and this you could tell that um this interviewer was like had a chip on his shoulder like he was like a little hipster guy right. but a chip on his shoulder that he wasn't like playing Hammond organ, you know, on um, like in in Electric Ladyland on a Jimi Hendrix session anymore, you know, and then he was like doing this like soul thing, and um, and um, he was like, what what genre of music do you like? And I'll never forget this. Winwood was like, I don't go by genre; I go song by song, you know. It's like some guy, some song. You know, I just like songs. That's pretty brilliant. Yeah, you know, it was like I'm not really interested in genres. And then, so then I started thinking about genres and and like you know what kind of what bullshit they are in a way. You know, they're really like because later on doing like interviews and stuff, people would ask me to classify my own music, and I'd be like, I'd be like, you know, I don't. I mean, that's not that's your job, you know? <laughs> like, I don't know how to c classify or no, I, I probably would know how to classify it. Like, but I'm not interested in classifying, you know, like, like, um, like I always feel like from there, I sort of realized like the genre from a, from like a writer's standpoint is really an afterthought. You know, you, you have an idea for a song and then you try to get to the heart of the song as a writer you know, figure out what that song is really about. And then, then you solve the problems that that proposition brings up, you know, and, um, so that you have like a cohesive song that, that, right. that, you know, you, maybe your idea sort of progresses and it, and it morphs into something that wasn't exactly the original idea, but in solving those problems, you bring the idea to its logical conclusion and you end up with this cohesive thing at the end. And then you're like, oh, you know, I wrote a reggae song. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's genres like... It's funny because I used to, I mean, I was in pretty much like a punk rock band. And, yeah. Uh, 
I had the country music test when I would write a song is that after I'd had it pretty much laid out in a range is I would pick up an acoustic guitar and try to play it as a country song. And yeah. if it worked, then I knew that it was yeah. a good song. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, we worked with, um, um, oh, shoot. Man, I cannot remember anybody's <laughs> fucking name today. Um, <laughs> it's Planetary Alignment. Uh, last name is Wallace. He's a really great producer. Andy Wallace? He did um, Maroon 5's second record. Um, let's let's look him up on the up. old interweb. But he made us, he made us like, the Spin Doctors did a record with him. And um, um, he'll be in my contacts on my phone. He, um, he Andy Wallace. That's Matt Wallace. Matt Wallace. Matt Wallace. Okay. They're both um, producers, I guess. Yeah, Matt. He's a brilliant, brilliant producer. And he made us, he wouldn't let us, um, he wouldn't let us, we were working in some. Oh, he produced the replacements, don't tell a soul. Yeah, he's, he's brilliant. I thought I recognized him. And he did, I all, but you can't have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Those guys? Faith no more. Faith no more. <laughs> and, you know, he's, wow. he's a badass. Yeah. yeah. He's a real badass. That's and sick. he, terrific terrific producer and and he i learned so much making that record actually from which him. record was that um it's the spin doctor's record nice talking to me okay and um he did such a great job on it it was it's you know you know you're working with i don't know it's funny because sometimes you know you're working with sometimes you work with people and they confuse you and it's bad and sometimes right. you work with people and they confuse you and it's great you know and that's like, Matt was like that. Like Matt, I'd be doing backing vocals, and he kept telling me like, "Okay, sing this like, 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 um, you know, like you're a black guy, like on the corner, like singing in the street." And I'd be like, "But that doesn't match the, the like tone." It just and he was like, "Just, just do me a favor, just do me a favor," <laughs> and like do it. And he and he would like direct me and direct me and direct me until I was like a caricature. You know, like, until it wasn't just, like, singing it like some... He would do it until it was, like, just this crazy, you know, re- I'd be singing like this and just doing some crazy, crazy-ass thing. And, and and like, I finally was like, dude, what are you doing? Like, what are you What are you doing? Because then he'd be like, okay, sing it like falsetto. I'd be like, okay, and then... And I had to stop him. Like, I couldn't get through the process, like, because it was just too weird and too confusing. And I was like, you know, I'm thinking, like, we're just spending time and I got to fly home in 10 days and, you know, right. I'm in L.A. And, like, what the hell is going on here? And he was like, he was like, um, what I'm trying to do is, like, if I, if I get all these different characters in there, I feel like subconsciously the listener is going to, they're going to hear, like, all these different tones. So if there's an angry guy in there and, like a happy guy and like a falsetto angelic guy in there. And then like, a you know, a nasty low down dude in there, you know, like people are going, if I tuck them all in together in just the right way, people in like a bad mood will pick up on it. People in a good mood will pick up on it. And, and like, when I listened back to when it, then I was like, Oh, cool. You know, right. let's do this. And then we just started like devising all these fucked up, you know, crazy, like, dudes you know to be singing in the backing vocals and when he when he got a, like a really cool mix of it it sounded fucking amazing you know and i'd never to me you know to me like i came in there being like you know this is 12 years ago or something like that so i mean you know to me singing backing vocals was all about tightness 
just going in there right. and like, and I was proud of my ability to like, um, you know, whether it's me, you know, doing a backing vocal on my own stuff or like coming in and doing a backing vocal on somebody else. I was like proud of my ability to come in and just like, I could just do that. I'd get my ear around like a backing uh, around a lead vocal and I could just cover it like a cheap shoot suit. Right. You know what I mean? Like just lacquer it. So it just didn't sound like anything was happening except another note like was magically in there, you right. know? And, um, wow, that sounded really egomaniacal, but you know what I mean? That's, that's like a job, skill. Man. Yeah. It's my job. <clears throat> you know, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Just wanted to, <laughs> that to me was, it was all about just being super duper, you know, tight. And, right. and then when, you know, you come across somebody else who's just like, well, what if it's not tight? What if it's weird? Right. In my, like, and, and it's weird for this reason, you know? Um, it's interesting because one of the biggest, I mean, it's funny the way he described the reason for you to do that, which is cool. I think also from like a more technical point of view, one of the things that I've found is when you've got, especially if you have bands where you don't have a lot of people that sing, maybe one or two. Yeah. When you do background vocals, layering the same vocal over and over again you get into really no matter how good it is you get into these problems where there's just not enough like richness to it there's not enough thickness and e and even to the point where certain frequencies just really get like yeah. one of the tricks that you'll see engineers do i'm sure you've seen is they'll swap out the mics every time you do another take yeah and like the idea is just to try to make it sound a little different see that's funny because i do i was naturally doing um um this thing that um uh man the the Fowler brothers Bernard Fowler who sings backing vocals for um the Rolling Stones right we had them come in and do backing vocals and when they would layer their vocals they would like um triple and quadruple them and and so what they would do is they would do one that was like straight up the middle then they'd do like a slightly breathy one right. and they do like a super breathy one so when I like, you know, when I'm doing, I always like you, that's the thing is there's definitely like, there's an art to it and yeah. you gotta like, you have to, um, you know, I was already kind of doing what Matt was saying, but he was taking it cause I was doing it like with the tone. Right. You know what I mean? Cause yeah, you understood you're right. the concept that you didn't, it's gotta, it's gotta be, he gave you some technique. Yeah. You do, you do one that's like, like a veneer, you know, that's like super duper tight, super duper on it. They're all super duper tight and super duper on it. But like you do, you know, you do some, a breathy one, a slightly breathy one and you know, you have to switch up the tone depending on the recording. Right. You know what I mean? But he was like, he wanted me to be different people. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? I, it's awesome. I mean, it's a great idea. Like, yeah. It makes and he, perfect sense because, I mean, also because the first thing you've got to do as a producer is get get what you want out of the artist, no matter how. Like, yeah. He, that might not even have been his intention. He may not even, he, he, he may have been totally bullshitting you. Like, I don't care. I don't want people to hear all these different emotions. I wanted to hear one emotion, but I wanted to have this thick layer of, like, yeah, yeah. dude singing yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But that's the best way for him to get it out of you was to, like, I mean, or maybe he really did. Maybe he was being straight up. But I think it's yeah. just, like, the fact that he knew how to, th yeah, that's, yeah, I mean, that's a sign of a great producer. Yeah, it is, it is a sign of a great producer. He knew the best way to get the performance that he wanted from you was to explain this to you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's the thing is, like, you know, the the i think that was straight up like his thing because he wasn't he wasn't explaining it to me at all and i'm the kind of guy where like if i if i know what the concept is and i like it 
I'll jump out the right. window for you. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and so after that, once I realized, oh, this guy's, there's a method to this guy's madness, then I would just do anything he asked me to. Because right. I was like, this comes out really cool when, yeah. he just, when I just do his weird shit, you know? Dude, that's a great, I mean, that's a really good technique, though. I wish. <clears throat> yeah, you should try that. it. It's really, it's really, <laughs> it's really funny. It comes out really cool. Yeah. It comes out really cool. Um, but actually, I brought up Matt because of your country, your country, uh-huh. punk rock country test. And, um, and he wouldn't let us, he wouldn't let us, um, like we were, we were rehearsing in, you know, this nice rehearsal studio in LA. So, and these, you know, if your listeners have never been to a nice rehearsing studio, rehearsal studio in LA, like these, you got this big room with like these nice amplifiers and like, and actually like a PA, like a public address system, like yeah. you'd have at a, at a show pointing back at the yeah. band. So, you know, the singer's got a mic. Drummer's got a yeah, drum like set. Everybody's got yeah, like right? SIR. You know, everybody's got like you know, it's the same kind of rig that you would have pretty much on stage, but you're just in this room playing together. And then usually, like, there's like a couch and some chairs and stuff like that, <laughs> like a setup, you know, over on the side of the room. And he made us like sit on the couch and the chairs, and made a drummer like just pat his knees, like playing no drum set. And made the bass player, the bass player had like another little tiny amp and he made our guitar player just play acoustic, you know, and I just sang with no microphone and he wouldn't let us get onto the rigs, onto the amplifiers until like we could just play, till we had it like, till the arrangement sounded good just on acoustic, which I immediately was like, this is, this is, you know, this is the shit, like, duh, this is great. But it drove our guitar player crazy, (laughs) you know, um... Well, something's it, going to though. Yeah, well, every, you know that's guitar players. You know, you know what you throw a drowning guitar player? What? His amplifier. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're you've got two guitar players looking at you. I'm a guitar player too. <laughs> We're the, and I'm a lead singer. Yeah, I'm the oh, worst yeah. of both worlds. Yeah, you know how yeah, many dude. lead singers? You know how many lead singers it takes to screw in a light bulb? No, one as long as the world continues to revolve around it. <laughs> That's how do you how do you know? I must have known that one. How do you know a lead singer is at your door? How? He knocks out of time. <laughs> he doesn't have the key. <laughs> and he doesn't know when to come in. <laughs> <laughs> how many producers does it take to screw in a light bulb? I don't know. I, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> All right, one more guitar player joke. This guitar player goes to hell, right? And uh and it's it's like this awesome club, you know, but it's it's kind of a shithole, but it's funky and it's cool. It's, it sounds really good in there, and it's full of people who are like rocking out. It's been on stage, and they're fucking killing it, right? This demon comes out of the shadows with a fifty nine, a Les Paul fifty nine, like flame top, right. guitar, hands it to the guitar player. The guitar player is like astonished, you know, fifty thousand dollar guitar. Like takes it, puts it on his puts it on you know the demon like gestures to the stage you know and the the guy the guitar player gets on stage plugs into this like beautiful 70s marshall rig turns it on it's like it sounds unbelievable leans over into the eaves of the stage you know to the demon who's like still standing there with his arms folded he says um are you sure this is hell i mean you know amazing guitar great crowd great club great band you know the demon kind of shrugs you know this non-committal gesture and uh the guitar player goes when do i get a solo and the demon goes never 
<laughs> that's amazing <laughs> what was sort of the process for like the earlier stuff like pocket full of kryptonite and that stuff did you have a letter direction from the outside or was that kind of more just you guys that was very much us you know we i mean when we started this band out i was like a you know a 19 year old kid with a bunch of tunes in a in a one of those black and white composition notebooks like writing in fucking fountain pen you know and super analog because digital didn't exist yet and, um, you know, I met the guys, I was playing like solo acoustic between the sets of the blues traveler. I went to high school with the, with the blues traveler. So they moved to New York city a year before I did. And I, I followed them a year later and moved in with those guys. And they were like, you're not in the band, but you can play in between our sets. And we we're playing this place called the Nightingale bar. And so I met Eric Shankman, the guitar player, and he and I, he had a gig um, up at Columbia, a frat party. So we kind of put a band together. We got, we got Aaron Comas, we had a different bass player to begin with, and he and I just started kind of working together. And um, we were this kind of, you know, like part of this kind of, uh, you know, it's funny because, you know, I don't think people think of us this way because we achieved like, you know, this like kind of pop um status you know um but we were this underground like new york city improvisation you know jamming kind of band um coming along with the blues traveler and we you know we were kind of pals with like fish and you know we 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 hit the road after the band had been together for six months or a year and we just toured our freaking brains out and got signed. So by the time we went into, um, into the studio, these songs, you know, little miss can't be wrong. Two princes, 40 or 50 refrigerator car, all that pocket full of kryptonite stuff. It was pretty polished because we'd been playing it live for a year or two. So we had, um, we had, we, we had, um, a guy named Frank Aversa, started out um producing produced kind of the first half of the record and um Peter Denenberg produced the second half kind of took over at one point and and finished out the record and um you know they were kind of gently guiding us but they were smart enough to kind of like let us you know tighten things up when they when when they needed to but kind of let us go because we all um really i think had a had like um an instinct you know and so meanwhile um you know frankie laraca who passed away um several years ago was our a and r guy and a for your listeners who don't know what an a and r guy is it's just, it does it's like an extinct form of record <laughs> executive um it used to mean artists and repertoire so it was the liaison between the the um label and the band and so he worked at the label but his job was to to help us to make the best record that we could and to make sure that the you know the label was getting their money's worth and that we weren't just in the studio you know snorting cocaine or some stupid crazy crap like that so um which we weren't um and uh and so yeah they kind of they kind of you know we were we were like 
almost as much a gang as we were a band. Like the president of the record label would walk in and be like, Oh, gentlemen, he was English. Oh, don't you think that you should maybe uh, pick up the tempo a little bit? We would laugh him out of the studio. <laughs> and I look back now and I was like, man, we had balls. You know, like we were just, we didn't give a shit what anybody thought. And we, we saw ourselves as the, as the sole arbiters of what was going down in that studio note by note. And, and I think that, I think that um, all of the best projects I've ever been a part of it was very clear who had a say creatively and who did not. You know, the best records I've ever made, it was like, okay, you know, um, the band and this guy, the producer, the band and this guy and this guy, you know, and, and anybody else, like, you'd listen to people's input, but, like, you kind of look around at each other and be like, no, they don't know what the fuck we're doing here. And if they came in and gave some kind of input, you'd be like... You know, you didn't have to laugh him out of the room or be rude the way we were when we were, like, 20, you know? Right. Um, but, but, you know, there'd be this, like, look that would go around the room and just be like, that dude's out, you know? <laughs> like, whatever. That's, that's, that's bullshit. Because, you know, I mean, um, the more people you... It's funny because there's input and there's input, you know? And, um, like... Um, when when um i did a short stint at at um suny purchase i was you know just decided it was time to like give back a little bit so i was teaching some songwriting there i just did it for a year or two and it was really interesting and informative and and i just didn't have the time to like give it you know the i kept being like oh i'm going on tour or i'll make up all these classes later and then being like oh crap <laughs> am i gonna make these classes up and i was kind of screwing the students a little bit you know just by <clears throat> not having enough time but like they were all like they were all kind of really hungry for critiques because that's the way they were being taught was was you know like bringing songs in and having them critiqued and i was like nobody ever critiqued my shit i never wanted anybody to critique my shit you know what i always did was like i still do this it was like i'd write a tune and all my buddies were like songwriters too growing up you know all my best friends were writing songs so we would just we would write songs you know you write a song and you'd be like hey i wrote a song you want to hear it and we'd be like, yeah because that was what we were all about you know and you play the song and you'd be playing the tune and you'd just be feeling the vibe in the room you know what i mean right. just you'd be watching them i'd be critiquing their reaction, reaction yeah. you know what i mean yeah. and 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 you could just you could just tell you know you could tell you play the song and you're like nobody says anything you don't even have to look at anybody you know what i mean but like you can feel like a, a line goes over really well I, i'll never forget this like you know i wrote this tune i never put it out um but it's uh it's called uh when you're done it's a song about a guy who's like talking to to um you know a girl that that he loves and He's like, yeah, when you're done, like with that other guy, remember I am the one. When you're done, remember I am the one. And and so the last um the last verse I'm writing it, and I came up with this really clunky ass line. It's like the first the last verse starts out like, When you're done fooling around with that mook, come see about your incorrigible kook. <laughs> and it like it didn't it was so wonky it didn't even fit in. So right. I had to after I go incorrigible kook, I just had to play like a bar of like of of G, you know, like I was a ring gang 
Gang, gang, <laughs> remember December is cold, and I'm as warm as the sun. When you're done, remember I am the one. And, like, I was like, oh, that's stupid, but I'll just fix it later, you know? Right. So the next day, like, you know, a couple of my buddies come over. Um, You know, Billy and Ben come over, and we're having a cup of coffee. I'm, like, looking at my table, uh, coffee table, and, and there's, like, that song sitting on the uh, on the coffee table in a notebook. And I go, oh, hey, you guys want to hear this song? Like, yeah, sure, man. So I play it for him, and I get to that line, and I'm, like, starting the third verse, and I think to myself, oh, shit, I never rewrote this line. Well, uh, whatever, you know, I'll just, I'll just play it. So I sing the incorrigible kook line, and the two of them start laughing their asses off. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um... And like, and then like the fact that it was all wonky and weird and I had to play that, like that bar of G, you know, like for nothing, the extra bar, the extra bar, it left room for the laughter, you know? And (laughs) I was playing, I was playing that tune around like for a little while and like, that was the best line in the tune that like made the tune, you know? But if I had, if I had asked somebody to critique that song. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even in my own like mental critique as I was writing it, that would have been the first line people would have gone to. They'd have been like, ah, incorrigible kook. I mean, what are you doing there? I think you should rewrite that line. If I'd had somebody critique it, they would have taken that line out. But the thing is that when people critique your stuff, usually they go right to the coolest fucking thing, the little weird flaw right. in the diamond that makes the surprising colors pop out. And that's the first thing they want to chop out of it because the first time you hear it through, you know, you, you, that's the thing that kind of, that's the bump. Right. You know what I mean? Well, if you hadn't put that extra bar in, it probably would have just been clunk, but you made it clunkety clunk. You know yeah. What I mean? Like yeah. you exaggerated the clunkiness. So then it became, it became a hook or whatever. But that's what I was talking know? about before, you know, is like, is like you, you know, a song, you have an idea for a song, you have this proposition, you know? Um, and then the next thing you have to do is, is like, is, is bring that, bring that proposition to some kind of a conclusion. You have to find out, like, what is this proposition about? What am I really, like, what is the question behind my question? And then, and then usually what that turns out to be is like a bunch of smaller questions, and you have to answer all those questions as you're going along. So, you know, like, there I am, like, answering all these questions, you know, and, and he, I'm like, okay, how am I going to bring this idea home? You know, when you're done fooling around with that mook, you know, like, come see about your incorrigible kook, and it doesn't fit in. So part of that answer is, like, I got to leave, like, four bars for nothing right. just to, like, fit that weird line in. And, you know, and then you just let it sit. And... um and, you know, once, once that all like simmered for a while, that was the, you know, like raw garlic is going to blow your face off. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But if you just kind of turn the heat down low and you just let it sit in the pan for a while, that's the flavor behind the flavor that makes everything taste so good. Right. You know what I mean? So it takes a long time to learn all this stuff. It's, it's, you're learning how to make mistakes. You know, it's like... You probably, when you were 20, you know, you would be horrified by, by like thinking that you had something technically flawed. So that's why you have the gang mentality that you're talking about, because that's how you, that's, that is what you use in place of, um, of confidence, which, you know, you later grow confidence, you know, and, and like, see, but you're a guitar player. (laughs) I'm a lead singer. So I was like, you know, (laughs) 
When I was uh, when I was um, like seven, my my like catch line as a little seven year old was, uh, you know, I'd I'd like say something funny and make all the grown ups laugh or cute or something like that, right. make all the grown ups laugh, and I would hold my hands up in like this, you know, didn't you know, gesture of self deprecation to go, no applause, please, <laughs> just throw money. <laughs> seven years old like you know lead singers they ought to put us all in like in a van and just close the garage door turn it on and just oh that would be rough oh rock and roll would be, rock and roll would be so much better without lead singers I mean, what was it sort of like during because it's like during this sort of maybe like the 90s that era when like you guys were selling so many millions of records and you were sort of a lead singer i mean were you just like on private jets all the time? Because that's such like kind of like a mythical thing now. Like I feel that kind of yeah. stuff doesn't exist we were anymore. So, we were so lucky to live through that like fat time, you know. Um, yeah, I mean it was like just sushi every day in the studio and like um, what yeah. Label were you signed to? We were on Epic, which on is Epic, which yeah. was the when we signed it was CBS, but then Sony. a month later it became Sony. Right. So yeah, we were on we were on Epic and um you know um let me think of some like really decadent stuff. Yeah. We went to Gotham one night with um the pre- the the label president um this guy Richard Griffiths, lovely lovely dude. Um and um we had this just unbelievable dinner. And then um, we ordered for dessert. I ordered um, um, a, a bottle of Chateau de Chem, which is like this dessert wine, and it was like, you know, two hundred and fifty dollars or something like that. And and um, I was like, oh, let's get let's get this. Look, they have a de Chem, you know. And um, and Richard was like. Oh, two hundred and fifty dollars. That's that's quite that's quite cheap for that. Let's, let's get a bottle. And they bring it out, and it's a half bottle. It's like a demi. It's a little demi bottle. And um, and so, so we all have like a little taste of it, and it's like, you know, it's so delicious. And um, I mean, it's like fucking fairies dancing on your tongue, you know. And um, it was so good. And I was like, let's get another one. And we just got another one. You know, it was like, just, just crazy. Yeah, crazy I don't think labels like that. have that budget. Anymore. No, man, it's no. a different world now. Yeah, it's just straight up, you know, crazy expense account kind of stuff. Um, but I, you know, I have to be. I have to be. I mean, it was so much fun, and at the same time, it's ironic because, like, as a band, we just were not getting along very well. Um, Even in the beginning. No, in the beginning, like the first year or two, we got along great, but we were just on the road nonstop. Right. Um, super burnt out. Uh, I mean, I look back now and I realize we all, you know, really care about each other, but we just didn't have like the emotional tools to, to communicate properly, you know? Um, so I wish, I wish like, you know, I wish that we had been able to kind of, uh, communicate a little better and, um, um, and like, there were moments that I think we could have enjoyed a lot more. Um, like, you know, we, we sold out this huge shed in Milwaukee. It was like 44,000 people. And, um, 
We go backstage afterwards, and it should have been like, I mean, it should have been just this huge milestone. My yeah. memory is like being backstage, like, you know, yelling at each other and our guitar player, yeah. like, our guitar player, like, throwing a chair and like, you know, it was just like this crazy, you know, crazy stuff. And, you know, it just should have been, it should have been more fun. Um, But, you know, that's like, that's the thing about being inexperienced you know is that is that you have this propensity to like squander the greatest moments of your life you, you know you get you know you focus on on immediate things too much you know yeah. like i mean that's i mean when similar story i remember i remember when we got signed to warner brothers my band my little yeah. band that had been fighting to you know like Get, fighting the world for so long, you know, to like get to that magical place where you get a record deal, and we got this great record deal. And like, I remember the lead singer literally like said, "You know, guys, we need to after rehearsal today, we got to go out and and like get a nice dinner and like celebrate. We just got signed. Like, we were literally so focused on the next steps. Okay, now we have to pick a producer. What are mm-hmm. we going to do for the re-? like? We were so caught up in the yeah, details yeah. that we didn't realize that we had just passed." what we'd all been working for since we were 12 years old yeah, and we were about to just let it blow by yeah, without yeah. even acknowledging it. Yeah. Yeah. And our, like, that's exactly what you're talking about. Our you're guitar like, player, when we were playing, um, we're playing on Bleecker street at this club called the Mondo Perso. And it was, you know, we were the, like the shit hot club band in New York, you know, yeah. we're packing the snot out of places Every single night, because back then, like, you know, there wasn't, like, any internet. Like, people, like, left their houses and hung out together in bars seeing bands every night, you know? And we were playing, we were playing every night. We called it the Manhattan Tour. We were playing, you know... Were you playing, I mean, you played Wetlands, like, once a week, right? Yeah, we played Wetlands, we played Wetlands, we played the Mondo Cani, the Mondo Perso. Those, both of those clubs were owned by um, the same, um, the same owner... Um, we played, um, Continental Divide, which is now the Continental, or maybe it's Coney Island, something. I don't no, know. It's, um, it's Continental. They don't have bands anymore. They don't have bands anymore. We used to play, we had a, we played there every Saturday night. That was our first, like, kind of, um, that was the first club that was like, yeah, you're our Saturday night band. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Trigger. And, pardon me? Trigger the owner. Remember him, the guy who always yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> um, the, who used to book it though? We used to, we used to deal. I do remember Trigger. Man, I haven't thought about him in a long yeah, time. Who was the guy that booked it? Was that old dude with glasses? Oh, you no, know, he was uh, w- the guy that we worked with was um an Australian guy. Oh, man, he'd be so pissed off if he knew I could remember his name. <laughs> That's uh, too many bong hits back in the hippie days. Um, <laughs> but like, I mean, here's 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 a here's a uh, a great you know story about what we're talking about. I mean, we in New York back then, the clubs that really treated you fairly and paid the bands well were the Mondo Connie and the Mondo Perso, and they were booked by this guy whose name, believe it or not, was Adolf, and um, um, this sweet, lovely, um like south african guy he was gayer than confetti back then which you know wasn't like that wasn't like dudes being like openly flamboyantly gay was right. like you know he was a brave dude and he used to wear like lederhosen and combat boots and just like <laughs> frolic you know the cat was frolicking and um and he you know really like he went 
out on a limb for us and the blues traveler, like these bands, like we were not, those were blues bars and we were not really like dyed in the wool blues right. bands, but we played the blues all night. Right. Um, but like, you know, he had to fight for us with the, with the owners of the bar and, and, um, and then we sold a lot of alcohol. So then they were, didn't care. You know, we yeah. made, we made the bar money. So that, that but he had to fight to get us in there. And if you were short on the phone bill, you know, he would like pay our phone bill. He paid our phone bills. He like paid our, you know, rent like on numerous occasions. Whoa. Like got us like past the first of the month, ticket out of our pay. But the thing was, you know, they paid 250 bucks on a weeknight and 500 bucks on a weekend. So if you could break into the weekends there, you were like, you know, you were doing really well. You could make a living in the city right. if you broke in, if you became one of the Mondo bands. So we played our first Friday night at Mondo Kane. We get paid um, 500 bucks. It's 100 bucks a guy. We give 100 bucks to Jason Richardson, our, our like, you know, manager. And um, I walk out of this bar. I got 100 bucks in my pocket. I walk down to uh, Bleecker Street to the Triumph Diner. It's a freaking subway now, you know? Not a subway stop, like a subway sandwich, right, right, right. you know. And um, it was this great, you know, old time, you know, Greek style diner. And I walk in there and I look at the menu and I'm so used to ordering like a, you know, an egg sandwich or like the cheapest thing right. on the menu, you know. And I suddenly realized I got a hundred bucks in my pocket and I ordered a T-bone steak <laughs> and a double thick milkshake and, um, you know, all these sides. And then, and like I ordered, I, I'll never forget this, I ordered like, I got a side of coleslaw just because I could afford it. You know what I mean? I didn't, <laughs> I didn't like, even eat it, I man. didn't even eat a bite of it, man. I just threw it on the ground. And, um, and like, um, you know, later on, later on, like, we, um, I'm not, like, a rich dude now, you know what I mean? I, I get some nice checks from BMI and everything like right. that. But you'd be surprised at, you know, like, t- two two dot-com crashes and you right. know a bit of you know custody battle and a sure. bit of like life going by and you know but i'm 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 comfortable you know i'm not like but i'm not like you know riding around in yachts and right. taking private planes everywhere and stuff like that um but like you know a lot of you know we we um refinanced we re uh, renegotiated our contract with Sony later on and got a million dollar advance, which you'd be surprised at how much like the lawyers and the managers and everybody. <laughs> it's like oh, after yeah. a million bucks, <laughs> it was amazing. And then you split it four ways. It was amazing how little was left. Um, but I mean, you know, like, I mean, I, I saw a million dollar check right. that came into like my band, you know? Yeah. And, um, but I never, I never have never ever again felt as rich as I felt Right. Like cutting into that T-bone steak because, that night. Because, yeah, once you... It's those early days, yeah. man. And, and you can celebrate these tiny little moments. Like, yeah, just even your first... Not even getting paid, but the first Friday night you get to play in fucking New York. It's, like, so immense. Mm-hmm. And you'll remember that. And then, yeah. And as, it was huge. As it gets serious and it becomes... I think it's when it becomes... I always felt like it was like it was this battle that you we were fighting together, you know, as a, as a band. We were like us against the world. We got to prove ourselves, and then you prove yourself, and you get there, and suddenly it's like a job, and then and all these amazing moments that you look forward to before you do, they go right they can go right by. Yeah, that I million think, dollar check, like yeah, you probably man. were like stressing out over it. No, you have to like <laughs> you have to um, you gotta like. Because what happens is, it's like you're on this merry-go-round, you know? And deep inside, we're all, like, 
deep inside we're all children and we're helpless children you know and we're sitting on that like crazily painted horse that we're a little frightened of and like there's your mom and dad you know and like the and and the 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 gate that you walked in and the familiar faces of the people you know and then that crazily painted horse like carries you around to the other side where you can't see any of that anymore and there's the brass ring you know <laughs> and and you're just reaching for it and you, you maybe you fall off the horse maybe you get it you know but that brass ring then is on your finger and it's all you can see for a while right you know but but the trick is is to get to take the merry-go-round all the way back around right. until you can see like mom and dad's face again, until you can see Show the, the place ring. you walked in. <laughs> yeah, and but like you know the brass ring, you, and then you forget about the brass ring. You know what I mean? Right, right. And you're back to where you were like a child again, back to where you're like, you know, a little frightened, but it's fun. And and you know that's like to me, I think I think the greatest achievement of like this portion of my life is that. I'm finger painting again, you know, like I'm, I write a song and I don't care who's going to hear it. I don't, I, I don't care. Like, you know, I just like, I want to like it. I want to like, I write the way I wrote when I was a kid. You know, I sat down to write two princes. I was 19 years old sitting on the edge of my bed. You know, I didn't know anything about like what I, I knew some stuff about writing songs, but I didn't know what it took to write like a hit song i didn't know i had no plan for that song all i wanted to do was write a tune that like would make girls like me you yeah, know what i mean of course. <laughs> and i wrote i wrote the first two lines of that song um it's, you know one two princes kneel before you princes princes who adore you and it's just like that other tune i was telling you about before i i took i i wrote those two down and looked at the top of the page i had two lines on the paper and i was like that's stupid that's dumb where the hell is that going and then, you know, one thing I learned to do really early on is, um, is you know, when you're writing, you got a creative voice and you have an editing voice. And you have to find the volume knob on those voices. And when in the initial phases of, of like making something, you got to turn the editor voice knob all the way down and you got to turn the creative voice all the way up. So, you know, I just was like, you know, I was like, shut up, editor voice, you know. I'm turning you off and was just like turned back to the little yellow legal pad. And I was like, let's just see where this is going. Half an hour later, I had like the tune that is the reason why you guys like give a shit about talking to me right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I, 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 um, you know, that's the, that's been like the, whether, you know, and I like that song, you know, people kind of like people who like, I, somebody, somebody put something on like, um, an Instagram photo that I posted, like, you know, uh, or somebody, somebody posted a photo of me at a gig and I'm, I'm wearing a tie, a spin doctor's gig. And I leaned, I'm leaning like way out over the edge of the stage and they must've been like in the front row and they held up their thing and they got a pic- close up picture of me. And like some guys like, you know, oh, I guess he's not a bike messenger anymore. <laughs> the blah, blah, sell out, you know? <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> you know, like wow you know i mean i i I just i think it's really (laughs) funny because because you know almost everybody would sell out if they could i don't know how to sell out i didn't know what the hell i was doing i didn't like you know and and when that like when that song that song like um 
you know, we were on the road for two years behind that album before anything happened. <laughs> you I can't was, sell out if you're nowhere at all and you, and you have a hit. Yeah, it's you like know. You can sell out if you already are kind of there in the business and you decide to like no, bring on some professional No, Sony, stop promoting my band. <laughs> I don't want it to be successful. I don't want to make a living playing music. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, really funny. And I mean, you know, if you listen to the rest of that record, you know, that's a weird record. There's some like, you know, there's some weird songs on that record. 40 or 50, Refrigerator Car. There's some dark ass shit. It's, you know, people, people, um, you know, you know, for people who are just like tuning in, I'm, my name is Chris Barron. I'm 47 <laughs> years old. I'm the lead singer of this band, Spin Doctors. We're the guys who had that song, um, Two Princes. It's like, it's the one that's got the bitty bitty crap in it. You know, it was really big in the 90s. It was the most played song in the world on the radio in 1994 you know and it's wow. the thing that i'm known it's the thing that i'm known for now and um but you know if you think that i'm like if you think that i'm like some goofball muppet in a goofy guatemalan hat one you're right but two <laughs> you know i challenge you to to let go and check out the rest of that record because like i think you'll find like that there's some really weird you know dark shit on there and it was just i always found it really funny because you know, we came up at the same time as like Pearl Jam and Nirvana, and and I really I love Nirvana. I love Soundgarden. Um, I think those they're really great bands. And and at the same time, you know, I, I think there was a lot of bands out there that had a really nihilistic outlook. And I I always felt um, that you know the purpose of the purpose of like you know a creative endeavor is to like put these ideas out there and i believe that if your ideas don't offer um if your philosophy any philosophy if a philosophy whether it's your philosophy or some other philosophy that doesn't offer you some kind of solace in this world then it's a pretty fucking useless philosophy you know like it doesn't take a genius to figure out that the world is completely fucked and that, that it's driven by greed and that we're, you know, we're all subject to forces outside of our control and that, um, you know, tragedy strikes good people. And, you know, it, it doesn't take a lot to figure out that, that the world is deeply, profoundly and, and, and tragically unfair. Okay. You figured that out. Okay. You're some kind of fucking genius. What's hard is like figuring out like, why to go on why to like why to live another day in this in this horrendous world where all these terrible things are happening that's what's hard is is reconciling it so you know um i always said like you know we were like the alternative to alternative you know because um i mean i and i'm not trying to put those other bands down and i'm not trying to like find fault you know with their philosophy or anything like that i'm just saying that for me i always i always felt like you know it was important to um you know face certain but if you if you even even like our tunes like two princes if you look at two princes like that's happy music with sad lyrics right you know <clears throat> if you put that song in a minor key you'd be kind of like wow okay this guy is like there's another dude that's got this that's gonna get this girl that this dude is in love with you know um but you could dance to it but you could that's dance to the it man. Key. i you remember when you it. guys were like when yeah when all three of those bands you mentioned were really happening and you guys got the girls because yeah girls liked our band you could dance to it they still do but i think there's also like a misconception that like you 
you have to be this sort of tortured artist and like that makes your art maybe more legitimate or something like that. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, and he and was tortured is by his last name. I'm trying to try oh, to explain yeah. that at the top of this podcast. But the thing I think is <laughs> the thing is like we're all sort of tortured, you know? Like who's not tortured? I mean, I right. think I think that there's like you can be tortured without being tortured sort of. You know what I mean? There's a lot of there's plenty of pain in this world to um to draw from. Um I think the I think the myth is I think the myth is is that you need to be tortured and subsequently crippled you know what i mean um because because i think you do need to like tap into you need to tap into these negative emotions that's a great that's the great um thing that we have as artists you know our great the great like um consolation of any creative person is that you take you know all the shit of your life and it's you know it becomes like the the um you know that shit becomes like the fertilizer for your creations you know and um you know every i got all these great tunes from all of my like breakups all the times i broke my heart got broken in this life i came out of it with a song which is more than you know a lot of people can say for the heartbreaks that they suffer in this life and um, I feel bad for people who don't have something to like, you know, something to sublimate all the heartbreak of this life into, you know? Um, yeah, to be able to, to actually get something out of that heartbreak. That's what you, you know, as an artist, you yeah. can do. And yeah, you, it's the greatest. It, other, it goes to waste if you're not an artist, I guess. Yeah, I don't, know, I don't know what people do. But then there's also, I think what... You know, Jonah was kind of alluding to is like, what happens when you're happy? Can you still make good yeah. art? <laughs> yeah, I I think the so. Age old question. I think so. I think like, I think um, you know, there's there's because because there's not just like sadness to write about. There's irony, you know, and there's satire, and there's um. Um, you know, observations about other people and, you know, I don't, I don't think you, I don't think, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I think I get some of the best stuff out of times when I'm like really angry and really sad and not, I don't always write an angry or sad song, you know, but a lot of times that brings up stuff that, um, you know, that, uh, that comes out to be like really good songs, but I, I, you know, like I, I'm, I'm working on, um, a record right now. And, um, you know, like, 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 you know, something that I really admire is, um, is Tom Waits, you know, who I don't, I, I mean, I think, I don't think he's like, you know, in that CD, you know, monkey jacked up topsy-turvy cracked ramshackle world that he's like writing from he doesn't it's like it's like it sort of you know the mud gets on his coat but it doesn't get on his skin you know what i mean it's like he's you know he's if i think yeah i know what you're talking about it's you know most of i think most people get their success 
because they're driven by something, you know, like you're saying you just wanted to get laid when you're 19, you know, yeah. like, and that's almost 90% of the bands in the world. That's, that was the most, I was, force. I wasn't even like that far. I just wanted girls to like, even like me. Yeah. You just want to <laughs> fucking, <laughs> I would have been, I would have settled for being considered <laughs> as a human being. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, the, the, the successful artists that have long, they figure out how to keep something driving them you know i mean and you talked about kurt cobain in his case there was something driving him that was dark obviously mm. you know hopefully you know you can find something to drive you that's not necessarily dark i think tom waits is like he's like a journalist yeah you know what i mean i think he loves these characters that he writes about but they're not him yeah you know like he pretends maybe that they are but i think that's why he can continue to like literally have a constant sort of quality to his yeah. work because he's like he never was that person in his song i don't think i think he's just like he's a great observer and an amazing journalist yeah um i totally he's agree a lucky motherfucker for that reason like, well he's a poet you <laughs> yeah, know he's, a, he's poet. a poet he's a poet and like not all poetry you know like just um you know when i'm writing a song like i I'm going after these little, like, small objectives, you know, going line by line, looking for, like, you know, a double entendre or, um, you know, to, to, I have all these little devices, you know, right. like, like, um, one of the things I really like to do, I call it the primrose path, you know, when you, the, the expression to lead someone down the primrose path means to, like, to, like, sort of, you know, make them think that you're leading them towards something good, but then you're going to rip them off, you know, and I, um, or the outcome is not what they expected. And I'd love to like, you know, language is full of these built in expectations. You know, if I say a stitch in time, you know, what's coming next, you know, I'm going to say like saves nine, you know, but leading people down these linguistic paths and then turning it around at the end, um, is 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 one of those. so I'm just looking for like beautiful combinations of words, you know, and surprising combinations of words, and trying to sort of like crack this language apart and look at the the pieces shining in in the the light of the window, you know, that I'm standing next to, and you don't have to be tortured to do that, you know. You can just be like a kook, you know. Um, I always wondered why. People, when I was young, you know, before I knew as much as I do now, um, I used to wonder why anybody would paint like a still life, you know? Why would somebody paint like a bowl of fruit, you know? And um, when um, when I started working with Eric Shankman from the Spin Doctors, he had a great big, huge, like, you know, seven by seven foot poster of this Cezanne painting of a it's a still life it's like a bowl of oranges right and um and i was I used to look at it and be like why did he paint a bowl of oranges you know how boring and one day i was just sitting there and 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 i realized like because it was a beautiful painting mm -hmm. and and it it hit me that that all around us all the time There's this moment that we're either like aware of or not, you know, but, but right now 
there are waves crashing against a beautiful cliff in Ireland. And if you were standing there with the wind in your face, you know, squinting against like a like the the spray of the of the sea, you'd be mind blown, right. you know. And and the sun is rising on double suns are rising on the moons of other planets right now right. you know and um and someone is enthralled listening to like a piece of music they've never heard before right now right in this moment right now you know somewhere somebody is like stroking their cat in the in the papery beam of sunlight that's coming through their gigantic window pane on a wood floor or the persian carpet you know right now in this moment and somewhere there's a, a bowl of fruit sitting on a table you know that someone is realizing is in another one of those kinds of of fragile beautiful moments and it's it's always happening right now and that's the thing that's the thing it's easy to like it's easy to find that immediacy in a violent moment it's easy to find that immediacy when when like evil Knievel is like riding a motorcycle up a ramp about to like you know cross three london bus buses you know it's easy to jump out of a plane and feel that you know but to be able to like to be able to kind of sit in a room and forget that you know you have to go to the dentist next thursday and forget that like you know or remember that but still realize that this beautiful calliope is unfolding all around you that's the whole point of this whole thing so you don't have to be tortured to it's easy to see that from a tortured place because as soon as like someone like stabs you in the leg and you're bleeding you're like oh my god you know <laughs> i'm gonna die you know, why did I, why, why was I so mean to my girlfriend when I walked out the door? You know what I mean? It, it's, it, those are the, I think that's why people feel like they got to be tortured. But the truth is like, you know, you can, you can just look at a bowl of fruit. If you look at it with your head tilted and your eyes squinted and a paintbrush in your hand in the, on the right day with the right light, it's right there all around you all the time. Wow, I feel like I've got a pocket full of kryptonite right now. <laughs> oh, you couldn't. You I couldn't, couldn't help you it. You had to do it, dude. Yeah, at least it's at the at the end of it. What does that feel like, anyway? It's. <laughs> I wouldn't wish it on anyone, <laughs> to be totally honest. But um, yeah, thank you so much to Chris for coming by. Please go see him tomorrow night at the Rockwood Music Hall, Stage Three. It's going to be awesome. Um, yeah, check out after this after this interview. I watched like. Spindector's set from like Woodstock 94. There's so much stuff online. So it's like kind of interesting to hear him talk and then kind of go back and watch. Yeah. You forget. They were a big, they were a big deal, man. Big deal. Yeah. And it's cool. It's cool that Chris is still making music and still, um, yeah, really involved in the art. And he's got, yeah, when he was here, he had just gotten back from like Alaska or somewhere yeah. crazy. Like he does a lot of cool traveling. Really interesting guy. But definitely check him out on Twitter, Instagram at Chris Barron. Um, if you get the chance to see him live, I would. And um, also check out Commonwealth Press. Commonwealth Press. Um, Commonwealth get Press. Get your t-shirts made. Get your t-shirts made. If you're in a band, you got to do it. Um, don't wait till the last minute. And uh, commonwealthpress.com slash podcast. Get six free shirts. And um, thanks to them for sponsoring us. Thanks to Chris for coming by. Thanks, Brad. For, Thank you. For having us. Thanks, Converse Rubber Thanks, Tracks. Thanks, Converse Rubber Tracks, for being so cool to us. For putting a roof over our heads. Yeah. I mean, if I had to do this 
on my own, it would probably sound terrible and no one would be able to find it. It sound like this. Hello? It would. We're Skyping in today. (laughs) Hello? Jonah? That is actually a sample of my original podcast. (laughs) Um, But yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Um, If you want to donate, go to goingofftrack.com. Steven was telling me there's some kind of thing button where you can just donate a dollar. It's really easy, I guess. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know exactly how it works, but check it out. I think if you just click on the donate button, it, it takes pulls you right, it right there. out of your pocket. It pulls it literally like a hand comes out of your computer. Oh, that's right. We have a little dro- uh, drone now yeah. that flies to people's pockets. Totally. So check out the Going <laughs> Off Track drone. Um, leave us a comment on iTunes. If you don't want to give us any money, that's fine, too. Whatever. Tell your friends about it. Tweet about it. Or don't. We're going to keep doing it either way. So... Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Chris, for coming by, and we will see you next week.